0: Why should we be shocked by what's happening? All that's happening is that they're more consistent now with the foundation of man's word and anything goes. That's the world. Why should we be shocked by what the world believes? Tell you what I am shocked by, what the church believes.
1: Welcome to the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. It's Fearless with Mark and Amber, a husband and wife show sharing behind the scenes of our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features. Fearless Features is a 501c3 nonprofit filmmaking ministry, creating movies on issues impacting our society and culture with a mission to educate, motivate, and inspire others to get involved and take a stand for biblical principles and values. I'm Amber Archer, half of your filmmaking team, and joining me today is the other half of this filmmaking team, my husband, Mark Archer.
2: I would like to officially add to my list of titles, oh, no. Mix Master Mark. Uh,
1: thanks, <laughs> Thanks, Grant. Thank
2: you, Grant. (laughs) I'm officially Mixed Master Mark, and uh, I like it.
1: Yeah, okay. It works. Okay, so I'm excited to continue our interview with Ken Ham, who is the CEO and founder of Answers in Genesis and the highly acclaimed Creation Museum and world-renowned Ark Encounter. Ken Ham is one of the most in-demand Christian speakers in North America and is part of the cast of our new documentary film, The Mind Polluters. So, be sure to visit our website, fearlessfeatures.org, where you can search the archives if you've missed the previous two parts of this interview. It's also where you can subscribe to this show via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and others. So, fearlessfeatures.org is also where you can make that one-time or monthly donation to help us keep sharing the truth and bringing you these important interviews and documentary films. You become a force multiplier for truth when you partner with us through this ministry. So, Mark.
2: Mm Mix Master Mark.
1: Thank you. I'm sorry. (laughs) Mix Master (laughs) Mark.
2: Yes, please.
1: (laughs) For anybody just joining us, can you tell them what is our new documentary film, The Mind Polluters? What is it about?
2: The Mind Polluters is uh, about the sexualization of our culture and our children through the educational system and the brought us to talking to ken Mm ham he has talked a lot about the educational system and the role of the church uh which you're going to hear him talk quite a bit about in this part of the interview and as we've been going along collecting these interviews for the film we have been sharing them on the podcast because a couple reasons number one um, this isn't proprietary information. We don't look at it that way. This is not stuff that we want to hold on to and keep secret. Um, this is the kind of information that you need to know now. And as we find these these things out and research them, we want to share them with you so that you can share them with others and you can start getting involved in your own community. But also there's just entirely too much information mm-hmm. to fit into a, a single film and so we want to make sure that we share all of this as we go um, because it's always uh, in the past before there were podcasts and you know extra features on dvds and things like that a lot of the stuff would just get lost mm-hmm. and you know, you, you you always shoot way more than you need for any project. And then the stuff that you don't need, you don't use. And it, a lot of times it just never gets seen. And sometimes it's very valuable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like st- with
1: all of these interviews, yeah. I mean, you don't want to miss. It's it's amazing because like you were just talking about, Ken talks a lot about education and it reminds me of interviewing Alex Newman, mm-hmm. who's, you know, with PublicSchoolExit.org, and he writes for the Epic Times. And he also had so much deep information about yeah. the education system and Rhonda Miller and Jennifer McWilliams from Purple for Parents. I mean, all of these women and men who have all of this information. And you guys, we just you, you have to know, like, eyes wide open.
2: Yeah, and if if you're just starting to join us with the listening on our podcast, welcome. Um, There is so much that we have for you. If you just go back into the archives, um, you can spend weeks just catching up Mm -hmm. on all these interviews, and there's so much to digest. And it's all there for you uh, to, to find and to make use of. That's why we've... It's why we put this out. Mm -hmm. We want people to know this information. But one of the things that Ken's going to talk about today that you hear, you've heard us talk about many times, is this uh, idea of moral relativism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was first introduced to Ken Ham when I was in high school. Someone else that I was introduced to when I was that age was... Dr. Francis Schaefer. And now Dr. Francis Schaefer um, did a 10-part film series in, I think it was 77? Was when mm-hmm. How Should We Then Live was yeah. made.
1: And we've talked about it before here on the podcast.
2: Yeah. Um, that film series changed my life. That film series, I think more than anything, made me want to make movies. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, so let's just stop for a minute because people often wonder why why do you make movies
2: mm-hmm.
1: well look at the the reference you just used you know in the late 70s and here it's on amazon prime now and in fact we just went back through and watched i mean yeah. we have the the dvd the the, the set of dvds <laughs> i have
2: it on vhs but, i have it on dvd
1: <laughs> um, but it's on amazon prime and we just went through the 10 10 part series again right. and so how many years has it been 77, this is 21. Let me do the math real fast.
2: (laughs) Well, you're doing the math. The, you know, Francis Schaefer talked about this and he's, he passed in the early 80s. He left us such a legacy of books um, and the film series. And uh, one of the things that I distinctly remember imprinting into my mind in my 17, 18 year old mind. Was this notion of moral relativism because Francis Schaeffer talked about it all the time? And if you grew up as a Gen Xer, mm-hmm. you know, we saw this, it, it manifested itself in our teen and early adulthood years as, you know, um, one man's ceiling is another man's floor. Mm-hmm. Um, remember Seinfeld, the, the, anytime they would deal with a homosexual, it was always not that there's anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was just this, this, even then the grooming process, Yeah, the grooming process had started and it was still something that was not really, it was not accepted, but it was starting to be pushed as an acceptable thing. Oh, well, they're just the quirky gay characters. Well, now it's full on. Mm mm-hmm. And that's what moral relativism is. It's it, you're taking your morality and making it relative to how you feel mm-hmm. or what your current situation is. Right. So and you hear this. All so the time. what everybody
1: believes is different. Right. And, and it's, it's whatever they believe. It's their yeah, truth. That's their truth.
2: And uh-huh. this is my truth. Right. Well, truth is truth and everything else is opinion. Mm-hmm. Truth doesn't care about your feelings. Truth doesn't care about what you think of it. It is what it is. And the truth, in in a in a biblical worldview, truth is the word of God, and that is the only truth. That is the only truth. So you're going to hear Ken talk about that in part three here today.
1: Anyway, that uh, ten part series, forty four years old, forty four so, years old, four decades, mm-hmm. and so that's, again, just a reminder of how much films and m- media. Mm-hmm. can leave a lasting impact for generations we, we we've tried to tell people over and over again because people say why do you do this it, it, this isn't just for right now right this is for future generations these things happened here are people who are fighting these battles and you know from a biblical perspective this mm-hmm. is how we're approaching it we're all one body in many parts and we love to share everyone's story and how their affecting change in their communities.
2: Yeah. And the the magic of film is that it is a lasting, you know, story, a moving story that can be passed on literally for generations to mm-hmm. come. And that's, that's a great example. How Should We Then Live uh, by Francis Schaeffer is a great example of that. It's still affecting people generations later.
1: Like Ken Ham and his ARC at yes. Creation Museum. Yes. It's affecting people <laughs> so, all over the world. So it was it was a pleasure to interview Ken Ham. And without further ado, let's listen in to part three of our interview with Ken Ham.
0: The public education system has never been a Christian system, right? It's been a secular system. Now, for the older generations, if you think of, say, the greatest generation, the silent generation, the baby boomers, like I'm in the baby boomers generation, there was in, in our Western world, there was more of a veneer of Christianity. So if you take America, you know the Judeo-Christian ethic permeated the culture because many of the founding fathers were Christians. Or even those that weren't had a Judeo-Christian ethic that came from the Bible. So marriage was a, a man and a woman. Abortion was wrong. There were two genders in humans. So even those who weren't Christians had a predominantly Judeo-Christian worldview. The education system as well, the public schools, Bible was allowed, prayer, even on assembly sometimes, um, and, uh, you know, Christmas carols, uh, nativity scenes, uh, prayer at graduation. But see, for the younger generations, when you look at generation X, generation Y, the millennials, generation Z, that system has been throwing God out, the Bible out, prayer out, uh, and now that system has become Uh, antagonistic to Christianity, very atheistic. It's always had that foundation, but there was a veneer of Christianity there. And the older generations, many of them don't realize the younger generations are going to an education system that has changed. They've ripped the veneer of, of Christianity off. And now we're seeing what it's really like. And thus anything goes. Moral relativism is the order of the day. And you know, I think for many people, when they look at a Western world today and they say, what has happened? What I would say is you are now seeing the real world. It's always been there, but it's been masked. In the Western world, it's been masked by a veneer of Christianity, and that's now been ripped off. You are now seeing the real world for what it is because what does the Scripture say? You know, when you look at at the heart of man and how evil, uh, how depraved our heart is, our sinful heart, you're now seeing the broad world that we actually live in in all of its naked ferocity, if you like, and the moral relativism uh, that is there. And I believe the church helped rip that veneer off because so much of the church, our church leaders, in our modern era has compromised with evolution and millions of years and see people people just think oh but that's just that's just an issue what you believe about origins no it's been the attack on biblical authority in our day it's been the Genesis 3 attack in our day and if you really if you really want to be blunt and say what is evolution in and, and millions of years it's the pagan religion of the age to try to explain life without god because all that arose out of naturalism it's like the big bang i have i have um, pastors who say to me but you know when god said in the beginning he created the heavens and the earth couldn't you say that's the big bang i say absolutely not the big bang came out of naturalism and is man's way of trying to explain the universe by natural processes and then they have the stars coming and then you have the sun and then you have the earth as a hot molten blob that cools down for millions of years before it gets water. The Bible has the earth first covered with water and doesn't tell us where the light came from, but the sun, moon and stars uh, were made on day four and the sun and moon were to be light bearers on the earth uh, uh, to rule the day and the night, which already existed. I mean, none of that fits with the big bang. You can't see people just have this idea. Oh, we could say God used the big God. What does His word say? See, that's what we've gotten away from because so much of the church has said you can reinterpret God's word in Genesis.
1: So, what do Christian parents and grandparents do if they're they're sending? Talk to the parents who are sending their kids to a public school right now and. Their kids are being taught to compromise, and it's not—you you can't even believe Scripture.
0: You know, first of all, I can't tell someone what they should or shouldn't do with their kids. That's between them and the Lord. We live in a fallen world. There are all sorts of circumstances out there. There are, there are single-parent families. There's people who are destitute. It's, it's a mess, but that's where the church should be helping those people. That's what the church should be doing, Right. But to the best of our abilities, no matter who we are as Christians, we should be trying to train our children the way the Bible says to train them. And I believe it would help people if we just stand back and realize something. First of all, every child conceived in a mother's womb is a being who's going to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever ever in heaven or hell. When you think of eternity in regard to where you're gonna be, your children are gonna be, and realize on this earth, 100 years, most people don't live that long, is nothing. It's a spit in the bucket that dries up before it hits the bottom. (laughs) I mean, it's nothing compared to eternity. Shouldn't we be standing back and looking and saying, you know what, the children God has entrusted to me, because that's what his word says, they're an heritage from the Lord. These are a gift from the Lord. These children, that should be my my priority, because as what Paul says, I count everything but loss compared to the, to knowing Christ. Right, that's the most important thing in the entire universe. There is nothing more important than we know Christ, because that that's going to affect our eternity. So I, as a parent, should be saying, I need to need to look at God's word. What does it say about training children and the priorities? I need to really work hard at this, because they have a sinful heart right from fertilization, when they're born, they're sinful creatures, they're biased against God. When children are born, they don't know about Adam and Eve, they don't know about the fall of man, they don't know about the promise of the Savior, they don't know about the flood, or the Tower of Babel, or the call of Abraham, or Jesus on the cross, or the babe in a manger, Jesus on the cross, the resurrection, the new heavens and new earth to come. They don't know any of that. Our job as parents is to train them and our job as parents is to say we've got to prepare them for the world that they're going to grow up in. And there's going to be a Genesis 3 attack by the devil to try to drag them away. I need to be preparing them for that. So if you think about it, the education system is not for Christ, it is against the public education system. It's not neutral. And everyone has a religious position, so what is the religion of the public education system? Public schools are by and large churches of atheism, and I know there are some Christian teachers who are trying to be missionaries in the system, they're a minority, but by and large, most of the teachers are the priests of the secular religion, and we hand our kids over to them each day. How much time have we spent at home with them? How much time, have we spent putting in as uncontaminated salt as possible because how can you throw your kids to that system and say they're gonna witness to the other kids if they don't have the salt to do it? it? It's only the exceptional child that even survives that system. Most do not survive, most have not survived. So we should be looking at that as parents and recognizing that. Who are we entrusting our kids to to pour into them their worldview? And what's the foundation of their worldview? You know, and scripture says that God has given roles to fathers and mothers and fathers are to be the spiritual head of their house. How much uh, time are they spending with their kids? How, How active are they in training them up to put the salt in there to prepare them for this world that they're living in? That's what we should be looking at. And, you know, for a lot of parents, it's basically send them to the public schools and send them to church for Sunday school or something or other. The majority of them will not survive. I mean, let's face it. That's the statistic. You can't deny it. The majority have not survived. The majority will not survive. And fewer and fewer are surviving. And so where are we going to end up? And we have to answer to the Lord one day for the children God has entrusted to us. And so we should be looking at that very, very carefully. And, you know, our eldest daughter actually started a Christian school called Twelve Stones Christian Academy. And I read a book called Will They Stand, which is our personal testimony and about raising children and so on, and open up in regard to our own children. And we have five kids and four that are married. And they've married godly spouses and they're doing their best to raise up their children on the foundation of God's word. That's that spiritual legacy passed on from generation to generation. And our eldest daughter said, dad, most Christian schools use mainly secular textbooks and try to add God to it. They're not raising up kids with a Christian worldview and, and the majority of them tell kids it's okay to believe in evolution. We're losing most of those kids anyway uh, from the church I want to start a Christian school. You know, some of our kids homeschool and some Christian school, some are involved in both, with a truly uh, biblical foundation to raise them up to think as Christians should with a truly biblical worldview so that then they can be sold out there like they should and teach them apologetics and equip them with the answers to the questions of our day. And I had her write a chapter in the end of my book, Will They Stand?, I wanted people to see that spiritual legacy passed on and how she and all of our kids understand you've got to have a truly biblical worldview from God's word beginning in Genesis. That's had a great impact on our kids and a great impact on our 18 grandchildren that we have uh, as well. And, you know, when when you look at it from a biblical perspective, we are to raise godly children who'll marry godly children, who raise godly children, who'll marry godly children, who raise godly children, and all the way along impact the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, I believe what's happened is the church has, in a sense, handed our kids over to the world. You train them. We'll just tell them about Jesus, and then we wonder why we've lost them. You know, would God tell the Israelites to send their kids to the Philistines to be trained? Have a think about that. Of course not they were t- to fill them up with the truth of God's word so then they could be a witness uh, to the world. And so I think I think a lot of our churches and parents have got it the wrong way around. We think we throw our kids to the world to witness to them, but what we've done is hand them over to the world to train as the world wants to train them instead of training them up so that they can be witnesses to the world.
1: So what do we tell the person who's stuck in... They're already stuck in sin with... with With all this, you know how I feel, and I can be, you know, they're they're so it's just perverted the way that the the system is telling them you can be a you can be a girl if you're a boy or you can be homosexual. What hope is there for people who are living in
0: that? Well, you know, here's the problem: you're not going to solve any of those issues until they have the right foundation, right? It's a hard issue. Uh, It's a hard issue. See. A lot of Christians have the wrong idea that, oh, okay, the problems we have today, we've got the gay marriage problem, we've got the gender problem, we've got the abortion problem, um, you know, we've got, you know, all these different problems. But they're all the same problem. They're all symptoms of the problem. Until we come to grips with that, we're not gonna ultimately be able to deal with it. So that when we understand If you have the wrong foundation of man's word, then ultimately anything goes. Until they have the foundation of God's word and believe the true history of who we are, founded in Genesis 1 to 11, we're never going to be able to deal with these issues. And that then gets to another matter that is so very important. How does a Christian approach a non-Christian or someone who has this worldview of moral relativism. How do we approach them and talk to them? Because today what I find is that if you go out and say well marriage is a man and a woman, you'll be accused of hate speech, right? Um, If you say abortion is wrong, you'll be accused of being a misogynist. If you say homosexual behavior is wrong, you'll be accused of being homophobic. And so here's the problem, we're coming and saying, here's what's right, here's what's wrong, and here's this worldview that says anything goes, and it's clashing. And those that are in the world see what we Christians are saying as hate speech because it clashes with their worldview. The problem is, the battle's not here. The battle is down here in that they have a different foundation to the Christian that starts from God's word. So to give you a practical example, I had a, a man come to me at a conference and he said, I'm a homosexual, I believe in gay marriage. So what are you gonna say about that? Now, if I was to say to him, well, that's wrong, that's evil, that's sin, he's gonna see that as hate speech, right? Because does he, does he have the foundation to understand what sin is? No, and so I said to him, well, I'm a Christian, can I explain to you why I have a worldview the way I do? You see, I start from the Bible. That person said to me, I don't believe the Bible. Don't give me that religious stuff. Now, because of the way many of our churches have taught or haven't taught, a lot of people have been told today, oh, when it comes to talking to these people, don't bring up the Bible, because they'll see it as religion. Well, if you don't have the Bible as your foundation, you've lost the battle. When I debated Bill Nye the Science Guy at the Creation Museum in 2014, I had all these good meaning Christians write to me, send emails, call me on the phone, and tell me what I needed to do. And predominantly they told me, don't mention the Bible. You're gonna be before the world's media. You know, they'll see you're biased, they'll see you're religious, so just argue scientifically is the way they put it. And then after I did the debate, I had these people tell me what I should have said. But see, If I had given up the Bible as my foundation, then Bill and I won, because the only other foundation is man's word. So if I give up the Bible, my foundation is the same as the world. So how can can I then go and debate on that? Because I've already lost. You can't give up your foundation. That's a problem. Because we've got this idea of neutrality and non-religious position, which is not true, people have this idea you can argue without the Bible if you're a Christian. So I said to this person, um, so I said, my worldview comes from the Bible. He says, don't give me the Bible. I don't believe that religious stuff. I said, you don't believe the Bible? No. I said, guess what? I do. And then I deliberately bait them. What do I mean by that? I, I know primarily what they've been taught through the public education system and the way they're thinking. And so I would bait them to get them to start to bite on certain things like See, so do you believe in evolution or do you believe the Bible is not true? Do, do you believe science has disproved the Bible? And as I as I do that, knowing what they've been taught, they start to react. And then I start to give them answers. And then I show them I can defend my faith. And then I'm giving them answers from science, biology, and so on. And then I get to a stage and say, you know what? I've given you a lot of answers. I just want you to understand, regardless, I do start here with the Bible, with Genesis, And I believe that marriage is a man and a woman because God created marriage. Right here in Genesis 2.24, he created man from dust, woman from his side. You become one because you're one flesh. I understand if you don't have the same foundation as me, if you don't believe the Bible, you believe man's just an animal, you're going to have a whole different worldview in regard to marriage. Or if you claim you're a Christian but don't believe Genesis is literal history like I do, you're not going to have the same worldview as me understand we have a clash of worldviews because we've got a, a clash foundationally. So until you and I have the same foundation, we're never going to agree up here. And you see, if we start to argue that way, it takes the emotionalism out of it and it helps them understand your worldview comes from this foundation because they don't even understand that. They know, they've never been taught that they have a worldview that has a foundation. Most Christians have it. And that's why we need to argue at the foundational level. If we don't argue down here, we'll never get anywhere up here. So you can look at all that's going on in the schools. You know, why should we be shocked by what's happening, if you think about it? All that's happening is that they're more consistent now with the foundation of man's word and anything goes. And because now they're more consistent, we seem to be shocked by it. That's the world. Why should we be shocked by what the world believes? Tell you what I am shocked by, what the church believes. Because the church is not taking the stand it should on God's word beginning in Genesis. And I would say that when you look in the Old Testament at the prophets, the minor prophets, the major prophets, and over and over again, you see the prophets chastening God's people because they compromise with the pagan religion of the age. You know, we look at that. How how could they take their idol worship and incorporate that into God's word? How how could they take even their child sacrifice and do that? But aren't we doing the same today? Because evolution, millions of years, is the pagan religion of the age. And the church has adopted that, much of the church, and compromised God's word. It's no different than the Israelites compromising with the Canaanite religion. Abortion is the child sacrifice of our time, and there are even Christians that support abortion. It's child sacrifice to the God of self, that's what it is. And so you see, it really comes down to this, that if we truly understand the foundational nature of the battle, and that there's two foundations, only two religions ultimately, not hundreds, there's only two, God's word or man's word, then we would understand what's happening in the secular schools, instead of being shocked by it, we should recognize it's a it's a logical outworking of the wrong foundation. So why should we be entrusting our kids to that in the first place anyway?
2: Well, there's the end of part three with Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis. You know, if you're enjoying what you're hearing here on our podcast uh, over the past couple of weeks or past couple of months. Um, and you're not part of our uh, ongoing giving community, would you take a moment and consider uh, helping us out when we say that Fearless Features is a nonprofit? We mean it. And uh, we have started this as a ministry as unto the Lord. Um, We don't produce our uh, films as a uh, profit-making entity. We produce them because the Lord tells us to and we do them as an act of of obedience. And the Lord has been good to us. He has provided every step of the way. Um, It's been scary at times, but uh, as mission-minded filmmakers, um, we walk every day in steps of faith and steps of just trusting that He will provide. And doing a film like The Mind Polluters is not an inexpensive task. There's been a lot of travel. There's a lot of uh, legal expenses and uh, licensing of music, things like that, and we could use your help. So either uh, a one-time gift or maybe consider becoming a monthly donor to our ministry, a regular sponsor of our ministry. We would so appreciate it. We need partners to help us continue this ministry moving forward and we are looking forward to growing the ministry. We've got so many more projects that we want to do, and we know that we will do them with the Lord's blessing and with your help.
1: That's right, so we want to make sure that these films are available for little to no cost at all to the end users because people just need this information. And the more we can get these things out, the more we can affect change in our own communities and really make a difference in what's happening in our children's lives, in our families, and in our communities. So when you're ready to make that one-time or monthly donation, be sure to visit fearlessfeatures.org where you can give right there on our website. Thank you so much for joining us today and sticking around to the end. We really appreciate you being here. Have a wonderfully blessed day.